It is so good to be back. I've been away for the last couple of weeks attending an InterVarsity conference for students, and so I got to spend two weeks with 450 of my favorite college students. <laughs> They're getting younger. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was phenomenal. So got to see uh, many of them commit their lives to Jesus Got to see many recommit their lives, got to see some physical healings, got to see students grow deeper in love for God, his word, and his purposes and plans for their lives and for the church. It's an amazing week. I'm an introvert. I was exhausted when I came home. Got home Wednesday, and, uh, and then Thursday morning had to write a sermon. <laughs> so um, you, get, you get what uh, is left over. So <laughs> may the Lord meet us. I want to thank Ben and his crew. Um, hopefully everybody has a 3 by 5 card and something to write with. Does anybody not have a 3 by 5 card? You'll maybe want to use this uh, during the sermon. See, see a hand. Very good. Thank you. If you see one floating around and you want to grab it, feel free to. Well, I'm going to begin with a joke that my dad uh, used to tell. And some of you are going to find it hilarious. Others of you are going to cringe and... Ask me never to do that again. So um, this is the joke that my dad used to tell. He'd say, uh, <clears throat> a man got a call from his doctor. Anybody heard this joke before? A man got a call from uh, his doctor. The doctor said, sir, I have good news and bad news. Which would you like first? And the man thought about this for a second. He said, well, I guess I'll take the good news first. And the doctor said, okay, <clears throat> you have one day to live. The man thought about this for a moment, said, uh, if I only have one day left to live, that's the good news. What's the bad news? The bad news, the doctor said, is that I tried calling you yesterday. <clears throat> Blame my dad. Okay. <clears throat> what, uh, what do you do when you get bad news? What do you do when you get bad news? So how do you react, for instance, when the check engine light comes on? What do you do when your child wakes up with a fever? No. What do you do when you're told that you need a new furnace? Ouch. What do you do when they just sold out of your favorite Boston cream donuts that you've been craving for all morning and now it feels like your day is ruined, right? What do you do when you get hit with bad news? Because we all get bad news occasionally, don't we? We all do. Occasionally we get it. We get it more often if you actually watch the news at night. Then you get it all the time. So hold on to this question. What do you do when you get hit with bad news? We're going to come back to this. So we're in, as you know, a sermon series that we've called Major Prophets from the Minor Prophets. Last week, I think that Aaron did a great job wrapping up our study of Amos on the hope-filled note that though God was going to bring judgment against Israel for failing to uphold their promise to God, God would keep his promise to his people which was ultimately, we saw, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The northern kingdom of Israel failed miserably to uphold their promise to God by not just ignoring the needs of the vulnerable, but by actively participating in their exploitation. And because of his great love for all people, 
God brought judgment against his chosen people for breaking the law of love, which of course was bad news for them, but profitable for those of us wanting to learn to grow in our love for God and others. How are we doing? Were you good? We can all profit from Amos by being reminded that we cannot hide behind religious titles. Like, I'm an Israelite, so I'm protected from the wrath of God. Or other titles like, I'm a Christian, or I'm a Catholic, or I'm a Protestant, or I'm an evangelical, or I'm a charismatic, or I'm a Pentecostal, or whatever your title or affiliation of choice is. When we think that we can hide behind titles like that, then we are misunderstanding what it means to be in a relationship with God. Because being associated with groups does not protect us from God's judgment, nor does it ensure his blessings. Far more than titles, God is looking for men and women from every nation, tribe, and language who will faithfully faithfully respond to his love, his grace, and his truth through Jesus Christ by demonstrating in the power of the Holy Spirit his justice and righteousness on earth. This is what God is looking for from his people. Will we respond? And we do this through our prayers, the ways in which we pray. We do this with our words We do this, of course, with our actions. We do this with our money. We do this with our time. We do this with our lives. This is the way in which we obey the Lord. So God couldn't care less about our titles. What he really wants is for people like you and me to have a testimony of faithful obedience to him by loving him with everything that we have and loving our neighbors as he calls us to, just as we think about our own selves. The question is, will we profit from Amos? Will we profit from what we learn from the book of Amos? Well, we can if we have ears to hear. But if we don't, we won't be the first nor will we be the last to miss out on God's blessings because of our own disobedience or our own apathy. The northern kingdom of Israel had been warned of God's judgment by prophets like Amos, but because they turned a deaf ear to God, the northern kingdom did eventually fall to the Assyrians in the year 720 BC. And for a while, it seemed like the southern kingdom of Judah had learned some lessons from their northern neighbor, Israel. In 640 BC, Josiah was appointed king of the southern kingdom at the ripe old age of, anybody know? Eight years old. Who said that? Of course, Laurel. Yeah, all right. So glad you weren't my Sunday school class. Josiah, appointed king, eight years years old. Whoa, how's that going to go? Well, 18 years into his reign, the book of the law, which is 
at that time, the first five books of the Old Testament were recovered. They were rediscovered. And in response, Josiah led the people of Judah, again, the southern kingdom, to repentance and a recommitment to God. It was a moment of glory in their history. And when we read about this in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23, we hope that the renewal of the vows of the people of Judah to God would last. But by the time you get to the end of chapter 23, where the death of Josiah and the appointment of his sons as king is recorded, it becomes painfully clear that the renewal vows would not last. And it was during this moral and spiritual decline of the southern kingdom of God, the southern kingdom of Judah, that God spoke to the next minor prophet we're going to study in our series, Habakkuk. Some of you prefer Habakkuk, I know, but I say Habakkuk. So for now on, it's Habakkuk, okay? <laughs> Either one is fine. <clears throat> Habakkuk. Like Amos, there is much to profit uh, from reading Habakkuk. I'm going to put up a timeline I believe we're going to have up here. That's not the timeline, although. Yeah, here we go. So the timeline, again, we showed this a couple of weeks ago. Here was Amos around 750. That's what we looked at. Now we've moved up about 150 years um, to Habakkuk, a bunch of it's about when Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and then some other minor prophets and uh, wisdom literature was written. So when I last introduced Amos about a month ago, this was, this was exactly that timeline. So Habakkuk was likely written. We don't know exactly when Habakkuk, we don't have an exact year, but likely written about 150 years or so after Amos. And it's about 15 to 25 years, some wiggle room in there, before the fall of uh, the southern kingdom. When the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem, and again, the entire kingdom fell apart. And that was in the year 585, and we're going to get into that a little bit here this morning. So around, when I think about Habakkuk, just because I'm a mathematician and I always round up, I think 600 BC is close enough. Okay, so let's come back to this question, what do you do when you face bad news? What do you do when you face bad news? Because the news that Habakkuk faced was really bad, really bad. And every day it was getting worse. So he cried out to God, and that's what the book of Habakkuk is. He cried out to God. Friends, it is always right to pray when confronted with bad news. Is that true? Yeah, always right. It's also always right to pray before one continues with a sermon. So let's, let's pray. <clears throat> and thanks for your prayers for me. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that your word is alive. And even though we're reading about something that happened so long ago, it's just amazing how relevant your word is, more relevant than anything we can scroll on the internet. God, thank you also for the way that your word is not just relevant, it's alive. And it has a, an ability to really prick our conscience so we pray again that you would accomplish your work, God, through your word. 
I just want to get out of the way. I want you, God, to, to do what only you can do in the power of your spirit using your word. So we are attentive to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And again, thanks for those who are praying for me as we, um, as we get into this. I appreciate it. In the first section of um, the book of Habakkuk, we're going to notice Habakkuk praying three times. And these prayers, I find, are remarkably uh, honest, remarkably humbly, humble, and remarkably hangry. <clears throat> now, I know some slang. Not that old or out of touch. And I happen to know that hangry is a slang word, right, which sometimes we use when a person is hungry and a little irritable because they're hungry. What do we say? They're hangry. Anybody been around anybody who's hangry? (laughs) I see a lot more women's hands than guys' hands. I wonder why that is. Okay. So... um, so we know that that is one way that hangry is used, but today uh, I'm going to give it a new definition, and it's because I needed another H word to help out with the alliteration, because I, um, I have honest, I have humble, and I needed, a, so I have hangry. And here's what hangry means from now on. It doesn't mean irritable because you're hungry. It means that you have holy Anger. That's what it means. Holy anger. You have hangry. You're hangry because you have holy anger. Is that good? Clear on what hangry means? Okay, here we go. So we're going to be looking at the three H prayers of Habakkuk, mainly, specifically, his honest, his humble, and his hangry prayer. The book begins with his hangry prayer. Let's read this together. Habakkuk. Chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. It's a, it's a, it's a um, division that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not say, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk is hangry. He's hangry with the way that Judah, the southern kingdom, has morally and spiritually decayed to the point of total lawlessness and wickedness. And he cried out to God to end the bloodshed. Friends, when faced with bad news, it is always right to cry out to God. When you do get bad news, we drop to our knees and we ask God for his help. What do you do? When you get the news of another mass school shooting. In just the first five months of this year, the United States has endured 24 school shootings that have killed nine children, four adults, and physically injured 22 others. 
one can only imagine the emotional and the psychological toll that this has taken on the survivors, the students, the teachers, the staff, the family, the entire community. We know from our own local students, teachers, and administrators how terrifying even a hoax is. And so we pray hangry prayers. How long, O Lord, must we call for help, but you do not listen? It's okay to pray hangry prayers. In the United States, we've experienced a 60% increase in the past seven years in mass shootings. 60% in the last seven years. In 2016, there were 383 mass shootings nationwide. Just this past year, there were 647 mass shootings. Not victims, mass shootings. And as of two days ago, there have been 268 mass shootings in our country, putting us on track to tie or tragically even exceed last year's figure. So again, God, we pray. How long, O oh Lord, must we cry to you, violence, but you do not save? Does anyone care? We pray hangry prayers because it is not right. Something is wrong and needs a solution. Amen? I'm not getting political. Something is not right and needs a solution. God, help us. When you see or experience injustice, it's right, always right to pray hangry prayers. When conflict seems to abound everywhere, in the home, uh, in the workplace, you just say something online and poof, whoa, it's everywhere. It's always right to pray hangry prayers. God, help us. Something's not right. When it seems our own judicial and political systems only seem to favor the people in power at the expense of people entrusted to them with that power, praying an angry prayer is always their right response. Always. Do you have an angry, a hangry prayer? So, on the card that was on your seat or on the one next to you, hopefully you all have a card. I'm going to actually give you a moment or two to identify a hangry prayer of yours. Something that doesn't feel right. And it probably upsets God. And it upsets you too. And that's good. I'm going to give you two minutes. Some of you will want to write it out on just one side of the card. Identify... Something that makes you hangry. I'm not talking about they ran out of Boston cream donuts. Things that you know upset God. And it upsets you because it's not right. On your card, would you just, maybe you want to bullet it. Maybe you have several. Maybe it's a way that you or someone else has been mistreated. It's not right. Maybe for some of you it's been an unfair loss of a job. The loss of a child or a spouse. Maybe it's a health condition that's deteriorating. Yours or someone else doesn't seem right. Maybe you're hangry at yourself for something that you did or something you did not do. You're hangry at yourself. Some of you are hangry because of laws that have or have not been passed in recent years. So what makes you? I'm going to play a little music, and I'm going to pause for about two minutes. Let's write out our hangry prayers. Or also, maybe you don't want to participate in writing anything, because that's completely fine. Uh, but if something does come to mind and you want to write it, 
um, out on your card. Uh, we'll be inviting you to do something with your card um, at the end. If you would, you, know, you can write on it anytime as I continue. The Lord responds to Habakkuk's hangry prayer. And we see this um, beginning in verse 5. Let's take a look at this, the Lord's response. The Lord says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, God says to Habakkuk. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like vultures swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. It's the Lord's response to Habakkuk's hangry prayer. The Lord's response is two-sided. First, far from being offended or indifferent to Habakkuk's complaint, God revealed that he saw what Habakkuk was seeing and had already set forth a response. When we pray our hangry prayers, we're not like waking God up, right? Hey, God, don't you care? Wake up. Or we're not telling him something that he doesn't already see or know about or even care about. Rather, when we're praying hangry prayers, we're confessing our own fear. We're confessing our own pain. We're confessing our own disappointment, our own, our own holy anger. While simultaneously listening and looking for ways in which God is already at work, bringing comfort, healing, and hope. We do both simultaneously. But, and this is the other side to God's response, which we have to pay attention to. Sometimes the way that God plans to bring comfort, healing, and hope doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Can I get an amen to that? Wait, you're going to do what? In Habakkuk's case, God's plan was to use a foreign nation. It's described in the, in, the, in the section we just read, the Babylonians, who we know were even morally and spiritually depraved than the people of Judah. And he's going to use the Babylonians to execute his judgment upon his chosen people. Does that make sense? That's what are you going to do, God? Imagine hangrily praying about the moral and spiritual decline of our country, which is okay to do, only to hear God say, oh, no, I got that. I know. I see that, which is the reason why I'm going to raise up ISIS to bring judgment upon the United States. We'd be like, uh, no, no, actually, we're, no, we're not that bad off, actually. We're doing pretty good, actually. 
What? Or any enemy of our country. If God were to raise them up to bring judgment against us, how would that make you feel? This is what Habakkuk had to live with and respond to. Right here. I'm sure that it would evoke some pretty strong emotions within you, as it should and as it did for Habakkuk. And this is when uh, Habakkuk prays what I'm calling his honest prayer. And we're going to see this right here. Uh, We're in still chapter 1, verse 12. This is the section I refer to as his honest prayer. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. Oh, Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. Oh, Rock, you have ordained them to punish Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls them up from, uh, that pulls them up with hooks and catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Honest prayers. This is Habakkuk's honest prayer. Honest prayers begin with what we know to be true about God and then praying for everything else with that in mind, from that perspective. We pray with what we know to be true about God and then we pray for everything else from that perspective. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he had them pray an honest prayer. Father who's in heaven. Honest prayers begin with an honest view of who God is. This is how we see Habakkuk praying his honest prayer. Oh, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. Oh, Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. Oh, rock, you have ordained them to punish. Habakkuk began his honest prayer with what he knew about God. That he was the same holy God who has always been, will be in this moment, and always will be. Habakkuk doesn't have to worry about God changing his character. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he can pray with confidence from that posture. Habakkuk was able to know that everything that God was going to do was perfect. It's part of what it means to be holy. His ways are perfect, without blemish, without fault, as is also his character. And this includes the ways in which he is executing judgment. His ways are perfect, even when we don't understand them. If you hear nothing else from this message, hear this. When you're in a situation, when you're in a situation that you don't understand, or you don't like, or you see things that are happening that you don't agree with, be honest with God. 
by beginning with what you know to be true about him. Start there. And then let your prayers unfold accordingly. Here's a few examples. God, you are a good father. So I know I can trust you with this loss. That's an honest prayer. God, you are quick to forgive. So help me to forgive those who have offended and hurt me. It's an honest prayer. God, you are a just God. Please show me how I can help put an end to this injustice. Yeah. God, you alone have the power to save. So I plead with you again for the salvation of my children. It's an honest prayer. God, you have the power to heal. Please. In Habakkuk's honest prayer, he acknowledged and he even questioned God's plan to use the Babylonians to bring judgment against Judah. But he never lost sight of what was true about God. And that's why I referred to that as his honest prayer. He says, my God, my holy one, oh Lord, oh rock. God's plan may have confused Habakkuk, but Habakkuk never was confused about who God was. And that's really important, isn't it? So on the other side of your card, I want to give you a moment to pray an honest prayer, perhaps in response to your hangry prayer. And I want to invite you to begin a prayer with what you know to be true about and let that then inform the way you want to be praying and the way you would want others to be joining you in prayer. So again, I'm going to give you two minutes and uh, to pray out your honest prayers. Some of you are going to want to participate in this right now. Some of you are just going to sit there, and that's completely fine. Let's, um, let's write out some honest. Continue to write and to wrap this up. So we've read Habakkuk's hangry prayer, and we heard God's response. We then heard Habakkuk's honest prayer, which included naming what he knew to be true about God. Finally, even though he used no words... Habakkuk prayed a humble prayer because all he could do at this point in the conversation was to silence himself before his holy God. And here's what we read. We're uh, just going to look at the first section of Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he, what God will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint that I've... Sometimes, at least for me, the hardest prayer to pray is the one when we or I stop talking and yet I remain in the presence of God. The psalmist, some of you know, encouraged us. Psalm 46, verse 10, right? Be still, be still and wait and know that I... Being still before God is a discipline of surrender. Declaring silently, not my will, but yours. A humble prayer like Habakkuk's is, is when we stand or we take some other posture. Perhaps we sit or we kneel or we fall prostrate before the Lord in silence before our holy God. Wait. So it was supposed to be just a normal, routine, annual checkup. Going into the doctor's office, I felt great, generally. I'd been exercising, I was eating well, 
and the extra weight that my doctor had suggested, I drop, I lost, and then some. I went into the exam room, honestly expecting to come out with an A-plus report. Anybody ever done that? You go in, you think. All seemed to be going well, until the doctor asked if Beverly was home. I thought it was a rather odd question coming at the end of the exam, so I, um, I told him that she probably was about to leave the house for work. Why? Uh, because I have some news that I need to give to you, and I want her here with you. And I said, no, 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 no. If you have news to give me, you can give it to me right now. So he did. And then I said, let me call my wife. <laughs> so um, I have prayed many hangry prayers in response to my, my diabetes diagnosis. I've had many complaints directed toward God about why he would allow me, right? A guy who's tried to eat and exercise responsibly all my adult life will forget about my childhood, but all my adult life, why he would allow me to get this disease that I don't feel like I deserve. But I've also prayed honest prayers to God, beginning with what I know to be true about who he is and his love for me. My diabetes doesn't change that. I don't like having diabetes. I don't like all the related health concerns that come with it. But I know that even with this disease, I am still loved by God. And that my life, just as it was before, is still in God's hand. I, of course, would love to be healed, this disease, as I know God knows full well. But I don't need to be fully well to know his love and to enjoy his presence and to be part of his plan in and through the church. I can relate a bit to the Apostle Paul, who also had infirmities. He writes about this in 2 Corinthians 12. He's very honest. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, the Apostle Paul said, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Let's be clear, those were Paul's words, they're not mine, but I can relate to them to a degree. Having diabetes has been a humbling experience for me, honestly, and I have asked God to remove it from me. Paul only prayed for three times. I prayed for this to be removed far more than three times. But I also have experienced God's grace daily as I face the challenges of managing my blood sugar levels, and I honestly feel like I can testify to God's power, giving me the discipline that I need to properly manage my blood sugar levels. I can't say that I delight in having diabetes. I don't think anybody can. But I can find delight if somehow God is using my own you know, fleshly weakness or whatever to manifest his strength. And so I, honestly, I still myself. I still myself before a holy God, resigning myself 
to his will for my life, and of course, silently waiting for his healing. And this is my humble prayer. This is where I am. So what, what do you do? What do you do when you get bad news? Habakkuk prayed a hangry, an honest, and a humble prayer. The good news, and this is great news, is that no matter how bad your news is, God is always good. Yeah. And is already working his perfect plan, his good plan, to address our complaint. Will we like it? Maybe. Maybe not. As we're going to see as we continue to work through the uh, book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk had to continue to wrestle with God over the implication of his plan before he finally was able to make peace with it. So if this sounds difficult, it is difficult, isn't it? This is not easy. This is not Christianity. One. This is grad school following Jesus and walking with him and trusting him. We can see how difficult it was for Habakkuk. And I know that we all have had to process and continue to process bad news. And it's never easy, is it? This is why it is good to remind ourselves of the good news that we have a Savior. This is my hope. That we have a Savior who understands how difficult trusting him, even with the bad news, is. We were reminded in our recent study of the book of Hebrews from chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. I don't expect you to remember this, but I'm just going to remind you of this. Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. That we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. For he was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. As a result, we can approach God's throne of grace in confidence with our hangry, our honest, and our humble prayers so that we may receive mercy and find the grace to help us in our time of need. That's good news, friends. When we come to the Lord's table, which we will be shortly, we do so remembering his hangry prayers. Father, if it is possible, may this cup, referring to his crucifixion, may this cup be taken from me. He cried out to his father. We're reminded also of his anguish on the cross when he cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's angry. Even Jesus had to work through his feelings, if you will, about God's plan. You can discuss that, the theological implications of that later. But even Jesus prayed hangry prayers. Jesus also prayed on his prayers in view of his trust in his heavenly Father. As we come to the communion, we also remember his words, but not as I will, but as you will. And it was from an honest perspective of what is true about God that he was able to pray this remarkable prayer on the cross. Father, you know the prayer. Forgive them. That's an honest. Habakkuk's humble prayer was when he stood on the watchman's wall waiting for God's response. Jesus' humble prayer was when he hung on the cross, willingly taking upon himself the judgment that we rightly deserve. No one is exempt. 
receiving the bread and the wine or the juice in our case, it's a reminder of the necessity of Jesus' sacrificial death for each one of us. It's not how good we are that makes us right with God. And it's not our titles. It's how perfect Jesus was when he took upon himself the sin of the world so that whoever calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ by faith will be saved. So what do you do? My last chance, my last time, what do you do when you're faced with bad news? Well, like Habakkuk, praying hangry, honest, and humble prayers is always the right response. Next time that check-in engine light comes on, you can be hangry, but you can also give it over to the Lord. When faced with the good news of Jesus Christ, if you've not already done so, It is always the right response to confess your sin and to invite him to be your Lord, right? The one in whom you can trust. The one whose plan is always perfect, even for your life. You can trust him.